the top players and legends to the very best analysts around the world from wherever the beautiful game is played. This is BTP. Now, we're talking football. Hi folks, unfortunately this excerpt is going to have to go in front of our content due to some mainstream media outlets lifting our content, calling it their own, reproducing it word for word, calling it their own exclusive. This is a repeated process and of course not only illegal but totally unacceptable. Anyone taking BTP content, calling it their own, reproducing it without prior written approval will be subject to legal proceedings from BTP. Yes, hello folks, welcome to Beyond the Pitch. I'm your host as always, Phil Bryan, joined with our co-host here, Cal McFadden, of course, and of course, delighted to be joined with absolute legend of the game, Martin Titus, career spans, I think, about 40 years. Even in the video games now, my son knows him more than I do today with playing video games, and uh, he was delighted that I was going to be talking to you today, so I'm delighted to have him on the show. Martin, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Um, obviously, these have been troubled times for yes. us all, and... We've got back to work in the last uh, few days. I've commentated on three games. I've been to three different grounds, and it's been a real privilege, to be honest. There have been 300 or so people in the um, stadium, and to be honest, we, you know, 100 of those probably from the football clubs themselves. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's been an honour and a responsibility, of course, to try and give the fans who can't be there some sort of... Uh, feeling about well the atmosphere <laughs> they know what the atmosphere is there isn't one but about the game itself and about what's going on in football now we've had the restart so yeah if you'd rung me a couple of weeks ago we might have had a different conversation but here we are full of optimism and hope that's great you've been doing this a long long time martin of course the atmosphere does add so much to the game but you may have answered my question how does it feel to be back with all this weird new normal well, the most important thing is to be back, and yeah. I think it's not just a, a step for football to be back. Uh, yeah. Not everybody, surprisingly enough, not everybody in this country is a football fan, yeah. but I think for those who who aren't close to the game, I think it does represent a step forward generally in life, and everyone's needed that. It's been very depressing, very sad, and, and uh, of course, very dangerous in some ways, So, and that's not just in this country. We know it's all around the world, and certainly we're where you're sitting as well. So mm-hmm. um, it, it is, um, it's not quite in full flow yet because I think each team probably needs a couple of games to get their sharpness back, but also to get used to the environment that they're playing in. I mean, they do play, obviously some of the youngsters have been recently playing youth team games and uh, under 21 games where there aren't uh, any fans in or very few. Um, but I think for the the ones who... You know, the star names who respond to the passion and the atmosphere uh, performance in more ways than just with a football, you know. I think they're the ones who are going to find it hard to get into their stride. But they're professionals and they, they want to win. And in the end, that competitive instinct will shine through, I'm sure. One of the things I'm interested to get your perspective on, Martin, are some of the temporary measures that have came in place, most notably drinks breaks and, and, and having more substitutes, five in total. Although those are temporary measures, do you think there's a chance they'll stay as we get used to them? I hope not. Um, 
the only reason that they've been brought in, I think, is because actually the weather's been pretty dreadful since the restart. We've had a, during lockdown, we've had amazingly good weather. I think it's almost a little bit of a payback. Um, people have been, if they've had gardens, they've been able to sit out and maybe um, uh, make their day, stretch their day out in a different way. But uh, since the football started, it's been cold and wet. Um, but today it's warm and uh, the forecast for the week is uh, summer temperatures. So uh, I think the drinks break will be important for that. You certainly don't want the drinks break in England in January, well, that's for sure, unless it's a cup of tea or some hot soup. <laughs> um, and uh, it does slow the game down. Uh, it elongates the evening because or the afternoon because obviously that time is added on. We have VAR time added on as well. Uh, so... I think really, um, you know, the game has been successful for being sharp and uh, non-stop, really. And we don't want uh, too many stops. And as far as the substitutes are concerned, it's interesting. I'm doing Tottenham against West Ham tomorrow night, um, our time. And the two managers, Jose Mourinho, uh, had a game against Manchester United on Friday. He used two substitutes. And David Moyes for West Ham against Wolves the following day used three yeah. Uh, you might argue they're old school managers and uh, maybe they haven't got the depth in the squad, certainly with a few injuries about um, even through the lockdown. Um, the uh, Everton had two goalkeepers on the bench yesterday yeah. uh, because they didn't have the numbers. So, no, there's enough, um, there's enough movement as it is. And to be honest, the worst part of the commentary hasn't been the, the atmosphere or lack of it because we, we can access... Um, from the actually the computer game, the EA FIFA computer game, they've got tailor-made sound effects for all the grounds in the computer game in the Unreal World, and they've um, we've done a deal with them in the real world. So it's pretty uh, ground-specific uh, crowds that come in. No, the worst thing is um, reminding yourself who's gone off and who's still on. And <laughs> that is uh, it's quite tricky because uh, the team that uh, starts the game, well, half of them won't finish it if we if we stick to that. So, no, uh, I think I also think that this is a very different point, really. But I do think being sub um, where there are nine subs. And you might be sub for now till the end of July, and you might never play a first team game. And you think you're a footballer. Yeah. You've got to get on the pitch to earn the right to be a proper professional. And I think people are filling out seats because the laws at the moment say that those um, options are available. Of course, one or two might get a chance that they otherwise wouldn't have done. So that's the flip mm -hmm. side of it. Um, but I hope it goes back to what it was. Interesting event in the Sheffield United game. Of course, we some people have been advocates for technology, some haven't. Um, unbelievable incident where it was a clear goal, not given, of course, technology finding its one billionth of an opportunity, one billionth of a blind spot that could have happened in all these variables. Uh, what was your take on that incident? Uh, I was on next after uh, the, the second game, which was the Manchester City Arsenal game. So. Uh, I did have a public take on it where I, I felt a bit sorry for the, the technology. It, it might not have been a coincidence that it was the first game back, um, whether the calibrations were done properly mm -hmm. or whether it was the ball in a blind spot. Um, I think there are only a few people who know the answer to that and they're keeping that to themselves. Um, it, it, it's hard to take if you're the team that obviously Sheffield United were penalised by it, but it was, what, the 42nd, 43rd minute? You never know. You can't say they would have won the game. I, you know, I, I do think uh, that they 
you know, there was an injustice in that moment, but whether it would cost them their points and whether it will cost them a place in the Champions League, which was all trotted out afterwards, um, we le- we'll never know. We'll never know. You know. Yeah, comebacks are not that common at the level of football we're talking about, but there was a great incentive for Aston Villa to get something from the game, and as I say, we, we'll never know. But it was a shame that it happened because obviously it was the first game back and uh, it didn't give the uh, uh, the technocrats <laughs> much uh, credibility. I, I, it's an argument. I don't know what you guys think, but um, the we must trust the technology is the mantra we're told from the Premier League and I guess from football around the world that's using uh, VAR is in the States as well and many other European countries. Um, yeah... I know, I've got a nice car to drive up and down to all these. I have to drive uh, in terms of um, the, the current safety regulations, drive myself to uh, all over the country in my own car. Um, I trust my car a fair bit, <laughs> but, you know, it might one day not work. <laughs> and I think we have to have that in the back of our mind with, with everything that's technical. It's been great to, to have you back, as, as Phil mentioned in the intro. I'm interested to get your perspective on some of your colleagues. What's it like working with Jamie and Garriger and Gary Neville? Because how on earth do you keep them in check, especially to, during a United-Liverpool game, for instance? Well, for 90 minutes, they make me feel their age. They energise me and they, um, you know, they, I have to keep up with them, their mental... Uh, banter, the, the mental thoughts and the, and the quick words banter, and it's it's great fun. They are terrific people. They uh, obviously were excellent footballers. They're very natural broadcasters. Great fun to be around, and of course they spark off each other, and that's fun in itself. And sometimes I have to wait. We had both of them yesterday in the Merseyside derby, and to be honest, they were a bit flummoxed because it is it's not easy to give the forensic analysis which they're so good at on games that possibly don't quite have the the detail because of where we are because what we talked about earlier that teams are still getting into their stride play they're still getting used to the lack of crowd um, but they're they're terrific and you know i've got other good people to work with alan smith uh, who's uh, i'm working with tomorrow night yeah. uh, a great companion and a, a, a very good journalist He's turned himself from being a, a very good footballer into a very good journalist. He he's written his own autobiographies. You know, he <coughs> writes newspaper columns. He's he's uh, great fun as well. Uh, but as I point out to me, he's a bit, a bit older than Neville and Carragher, so uh, yeah, I have to treat him a bit more care. <laughs> he's a bit more vulnerable, I think. <laughs> Martin, there was a lot of uh, discussion over the weekend about Roy Keane's style. Um, Pondetry, if you like, it's very different, as you say, to the analysis that we have from Gary Neville and uh, the likes of Danny Higginbottom, who's magnificent. What was your take on that? Was that something that uh, you found a bit off-putting, or would you just say it's typical Roy? It's great television, um, and and it makes headlines uh, these days because the headlines you don't have to wait for the paper the next day. It's online. Um, it's very good. Draw for the Sky Sports, who I work for, and uh, goodness knows we need a bit of help because they've lost a lot of money in the lockdown. There's a very generous gesture to the subscribers. They uh, froze the subscriptions because there's no live sports, which is what you signed up for, you know, as the subscribers. So um, I think uh, I can see the the huge value of Roy. 
he's a really interesting guy to talk to, and he's not like that all the time, I <laughs> yeah. promise you. But if he sees something that um, uh, that he thinks wrong, he's not frightened of giving it the the full Monty, is he really, as, as you saw on Friday night after about half-time yeah. in, the, in the Manchester United game about the goal that United had conceded to uh, Stephen Bergwijn. So... Um, I think there's room for it all, um, and uh, Roy would be the first to admit we can't find things like that in every broadcast. Um, but if he if he spots something that he's uh, that angers him or disappoints him, um, he doesn't disguise it. He doesn't uh, he doesn't dress it up, does he? He gives you absolutely straight, um, and it's um, it's very much part of of the broadcasting world. And you know. I, I, I have no personal feelings against it. I think it's, uh, it, it's yeah, if he, if he was talking about me, <laughs> yeah. maybe I would. Mm. But I tried to keep on the right side of him as a colleague. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I'm sure um, th- there are players probably who go out and think, oh, my goodness, Roy Keane's in the studio today. I better, I better make sure I play well. And you know, that can't be a bad thing either, can right. it, really? <laughs> Something else, Martin, that... I'm intrigued to ask you, for me, you are synonymous as the voice of the Premier League, especially for me growing up. Who have been your favourite individual players to commentate on during your career? It's, it's an interesting question. I, I think it's... I'm not a great... Well, I'll give you an answer, but I'm, I'm not a great one for individuals. I think it's such a team game. I, I have no truck with the old player of the year and this, that and the other. Um, maybe because as a player I never won any of those awards, but uh, the um, I think I think it's all about the team. It's all about the collective. Uh, somebody, you know, that's the way it is. Is it's got commercial benefits, and uh, these awards nights are very popular with supporters. And I coach in the National League at um, at Woking Football Club, and we've got a, an online awards night on Saturday night, and there'll be individual players getting um, uh, getting recognised but happily as an assistant manager I don't get a vote because I'd probably, <laughs> I'd probably say you know, I'll vote for the team because that's that's to me what it what it's all about um, but I I was a, a wannabe centre forward in non-league football the people who score goals are my uh, the ones that I admire really I mean Alan Shearer has been amazing when you think he started actually before the Premier League and he's uh, obviously still holds the record for, for the most goals, um, 260 goals, although he insists it's 261. I was at the game, actually, and I, I wouldn't have given it as an own goal either. It was against um, Newcastle, against Manchester United, um, the, the weekend after 9-11, just to put mm-hmm. some context on, on it. Uh, and it, it's gone down as a Wes Brown own goal, but definitely Alan's goal for me. <laughs> so, uh, But uh, the, the record books don't really so those kind of you know it's the hardest thing in the world to score goals and uh, I do admire those the Frank Lampard's phenomenon of getting goals from midfield is an incredible thing to do Brian Robson before him um, people who make late runs in the box not always easy for commentators to spot to be honest with you Um, but the ball ends up in the net and that's what we all want you know that's what um, makes the world go around the football world go around and makes us want to go to the games every week and uh, that, that, that kind of player, Marco van Basten was a, a particular hero going further back. Obviously not in the, not in the Premier League, but yeah, I thought he was a, a wonderful, wonderfully talented forward. And those who can head it as well. I mean, that was 
the only skill that I had. And it's a bit of a lost art now because the ball is different and you can't float it in for headers. Uh, as in the old days, um, for the great headers of the, there are some, obviously Peter Crouch, the great header of the ball. Uh, Christian Benteke will be in action at Anfield against his old club, the Crystal Palace, in the week. Those kind of players I, I admire. Christian can't score at the moment, but right. I'm sure he'll get going again. And maybe on Wednesday night, and give us all a big story. But um, yeah, I, lo- I love the goal scorers. Listen, look, one of the things I love to do is I love to look back on the old games. One of the old games that I remember you commentating on that stands out for me is the United 3-0 against Barcelona. Um, I want to ask you, what is your top three maybe most favourite games that you've commentated on? I know you talk about players, but if you could talk about games, what would, what would stand out for you? Well, I, I do have a favourite one in terms of the best game because I get asked this a lot, obviously, after 45 years yeah. of doing it. There are a lot of games to even try and remember, let alone mm-hmm. uh, put them into some sort of order. But uh, the game between Liverpool and Newcastle, yeah. um, the 4-3, there were two 4-3s. Yeah. This is the, the 1996 yeah. one. And I watched it again the other day in lockdown. We've shown a lot of the old games, you mm-hmm. know. And my son is, um, is 30 now. Um, he knows I've talked about this game for a lot, and he'd never watched it. So I remember it well. um, he was in another part of, of the country, but he watched it, and we sort of watched it side by side. They're not in the same house, and uh, he, he phoned me up afterwards and said, "I know what you mean." Um, mm-hmm. It's a wonderful game with um, Liverpool scoring very early, Robbie Fowler, and uh, scoring very late with Stan Collymore got the winner. They both got two goals each in the game and uh, we had uh, Les Ferdinand, David Ginola and Faustino Aspria scoring for Newcastle and it was, it was a real roller coaster ride and it, it was both teams were going for the title and neither of them won it. <laughs> it's yeah. almost as if they punched themselves out of the contest. So, a little story about it and that was in 1996 in the World Cup in Brazil in 2014 and at the opening game, which was in Sao Paulo, Stan Collymore was working for British Radio, yeah. and he and I went up in the lift to the commentary position. The lift opened, and staring us in the face was uh, Tino Asprilla. <laughs> he looked at Collymore and he said, you cost me my Premier League medal. <laughs> that, he didn't say, hello, Stan, nice to see you, or anything like that. that was, he just, with a smile on his face, and I thought, well, after all those years, you know, it meant a lot to those guys as yeah. well, and, uh, and that's, that's the game anyway. Great. You mentioned uh, Woking earlier on, assistant manager at the club. How's the future of the club looking? And for you, how important is non-league football in the English football pyramid? Um, The club's looking okay. We don't have a lot of money, so in a way we haven't got a lot of... Uh, the outgoings that the bigger clubs in our league, I and mean, we're the same league as Notts County and Wrexham and teams like that, Chesterfield, Hartlepool, Stockport. Uh, if you know your English football, they're, they're yeah. clubs with a lot of football league experience. Um, but we're part-time in a full-time league, so you know, the overheads haven't been too great, and we're, we're hoping that uh, in the next few days, maybe even tomorrow, we might get a start date for, for going back. Um, so the, it will be hard in non-league football to do without a paying, paying public because uh, obviously the, the money through the gate is, is very, very important. There isn't the kind of sponsorship or television revenue that you get from the, from the Premier League or the Championship clubs. Um, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good setup, and I hope, um, I hope non-league football does um, survive all this. Football has a way of surviving. 
driving. I mean, there's, a, there's usually somebody yeah. there to bail you out, really. Um, but of course, the sums that are needed aren't so great. There aren't too many. I mean, if the football in this, like League One and clubs like that, where the, out, the, the whole business model is uh, with much more finance, it, that's maybe a bit more of a worry to get those clubs back to the level that they were before financially. But um, the pyramid is great and very proud of it. I don't think any other country in the world has a pyramid um, quite like ours where you can go down. Well, we're in the fifth division and I started sixth, seventh, maybe the eighth division and we're paying reasonable money <laughs> for players. So there is a lot of semi-professional football in this country and um, personally I can't wait to see it starting again. Although uh, after the six weeks of the fast and furious football that we're having in the Premier League restart, I don't know what shape I'll right. be in if we start pre-season training in the beginning of August straight on the back of all that's going on at the moment. Well, last question, Martin, before you go. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I want to ask you, Liverpool will win the league, of course. Where does this Liverpool team rank in comparison to all their champions for you? Well, what I can say with the true conviction is they're the best team this season. Um, so uh, I think that's all that tells you. Uh, it's very hard to equate. Even I mean, they had a wonderful season last season and came second by a whisker, didn't they? Mm -hmm. um, the, the old adage that they were very much um, uh, propagators of the league table never lies. You know, we don't win anything at this season. It's judges in May. They Bob Paisley and Bill Shankly before him and. Joe Fagan, Kenny Dalglish, they're very realistic about how you get judged in professional football. It hasn't changed, really. I think any team that wins the, any league is, is uh, something to be very proud of. For me, it's better than winning cups because you can win a cup if you get a lucky draw. You can maybe get through and uh, have a couple of big days where you play above yourself and you end up with a piece of silverware. But over the full season, all the different uh, English climates, uh, you have to be at it all the time. And uh, strangely enough, they finished um, when the season was shut down. Uh, they weren't in great form then. I think they'd lost four of their previous six games and they were obviously a bit sluggish in the derby. But yeah. it was another point towards the, the title um, and uh, we're, we're waiting, we're, we're talking now about before Manchester City play Burnley, so I don't know quite the context of um, going to Anfield on, uh, on Wednesday night, English time, for the game against Crystal Palace. But it'll get done, and they thoroughly deserve it. Um, but to put them, who was the best Premier League winner, the, 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 this will be the 28th, I think. They all should be on a level platform of honour because it's a fantastic achievement to win the Premier League. really is. Martin, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Very, very much appreciate it. I wish you all the best and keep doing, keep up the great work. We love listening to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're very kind. You take care, guys. Cheers, Thanks Martin. Thanks for calling. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.